Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week we're on with Rod Penner, one of our churchwide elders, and talking about a new book that was just released that he actually played a significant role in. It's called The Motivation Code, Discover the Hidden Forces That Drive Your Best Work. So let's get started. This is the Pastor's Cut, and I'm Trevor Lovell. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, Hillary is actually out of town. Uh, she's out today. So in her place, we have Lisa Bishop joining us as one of the hosts. She is the director of women's ministries and small groups at our near north location uh, and is also a podcast extraordinaire herself. She's got her own podcast that she's run for some time, uh, Living a Life Unleashed. And she's also one of the regular contributors to The Daily Cut. So Lisa, super excited to have you with us here this morning. Thanks, Trevor. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, yeah. And Rod, great to have you with us as well. Looking forward to the conversation. So am I. Nice to be here. Yeah. So as longtime Chicagoans, uh, I wanted to ask you right off the top, uh, both of you, what's one of your favorite parts about the fall season, uh, specifically in the city of Chicago? Wow, I'll go. So I've lived in the same condo for 15 years. And as I'm looking out the window right now, I literally have these amazing trees that are changing colors in front of me. So I love the changing of the seasons and I actually love wearing sweaters. So fall, (laughs) fall is one of my favorite seasons. I love pulling out my sweaters and wearing comfortable and cozy, cozy clothes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's one thing I was I was so looking forward to towards the end of summer was just the chance to wear a sweater again and, <laughs> and be comfortable. Yeah. What about you, Rod? Yeah, uh, for us, we've been in the same neighborhood for 20 years and uh, uh, Halloween on our two blocks is a high holiday. And so uh, we have we invite all of our neighbors. It's an, kind of just an open invitation. And I usually make uh, 15 to 20 batches of chili. So that's kind of my specialty. Only Joe Riccardi uh, has the recipe. And I held back one ingredient from that. Uh, so his is his can be second best. But uh, uh, yeah, we, we love getting our neighbors together and, and uh, we, we throw s- some logs on the fire and and we have a lot of fun with uh, Halloween. Yeah, oh, that's this year awesome. going to be. Yeah, this year it's going to be different. We're going to have to work on our social distancing skills. You just throw just throw the candy at the kids. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Man, Joe's always bragging about his chili too, and so I'm curious if you got a better recipe than him. That's got to be some good stuff. Are you kidding me? His recipe <laughs> is my recipe. Does he not? Oh, no, oh, that's no. give you credit. No. Come on, Rod. <laughs> um, I'm going to say this in all humility. I've taught that man everything he knows about making chili. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think this he, uses is... your, he uses your recipe every year, if I'm not mistaken, for his men's chili cook-off. I don't know that it has the Rod Penner label on it, man. Uh-huh. That's, Wow. Um, well, <laughs> I guess we're all being reformed or transformed into the likeness, but that is, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rod, we're, we're super excited to have you on for today for this special episode of The Pastor's Cut. Uh, you know, you served as a churchwide elder at Park for, for a long time. And so, uh, and also you're part of, you're part of writing a book that's just been released, The M Code. And so really the hope for this episode is just to talk to you a little bit about your role as a churchwide elder, you know, kind of get, uh, 
uh, get some insight into what your experience has been with that and, and even just some visibility, you know, and some some insight into what it is to be a church-wide elder and then also to talk about your new book. And so we've got a list of questions we're going to work through and just kind of uh, discuss these things together. So looking forward to it. And uh, I believe Lisa is going to kick things off with our with our first question. Yeah. So, Rod, we've been going to park for a long time, but I think you've been going longer than I have. How long have you and your wife been at park? Well, uh, I first attended in 95. Um, wow. Art Mitchell uh, invited me. He was he was building a. Uh, a condominium complex. And I had moved here a few years before that. And he invited me. And uh, I was, I always say I was sort of the last one in, but the first one out. So for the financial people listening, LIFO. But uh, it took me a few years to get plugged in, but it, it's been home uh, ever since. Yeah. And you've been an elder for quite some time as well. And would love for those who are tuning in who may want to peek behind the curtain of the life of the elder. What what would you say? What's your experience been as an elder? And what are some things that you would like those listening to know about what it means to be an elder at Park? It, you know, the, the word that comes to mind is privilege. Um, we are... Uh, it's just a blessing to be able to see all the amazing things that God does in the lives of people at Park. And, you know, that can sound like kind of a, I don't know, a soundbite, but when you get to see uh, all the brokenness and, and then lives transformed, or you get to see, you know, people who were far away come to faith and, you know, and, and the privilege of baptizing uh, in Lake Michigan. And, you know, we always ask, what's your story? And uh, people, it's just so deeply personal uh, to them and the Lord, but they're willing to share it. And then and then when they get involved in park, uh, being able to see how whatever, uh, there's a pastor who talks about having a trail of tears and really see it at park, whatever you sort of mourn about your past that, you know, the Lord had to forgive in you, that ends, often ends up being their place of focus for ministry because you've got this sensitivity to it. So just in the role of elder, uh, we get to, to see all of that. And there is there, there are the things where, you know, we're working on structure. You know, uh, seeing Park uh, now, I guess, 15 years in the role, we were one location, then we became many. Um, and then my role in particular, I work with church planting across the city with other churches through the Chicago Partnership. But then, uh, you know, now it's like, you know, with Jackson leaving, you know, it was like it was clear we needed a new structure. So working through all of that, that's also a, a big part of the role. But but seeing God work uh, and, and create a path that uh, it's unlike any church in America because we researched all the other churches that we thought might be able to give us insight. And we settled on something that's, that's unique, but we think that it fits park. So again, that's just a flavor of some of those things that I get involved with. So essentially eldership, a lot of, of leadership, oversight, a lot of things and decisions being made and prayed about that we, we don't even know a lot that goes on behind the scenes, but then the privilege of coming alongside people in care and spiritual transformation. So that's got to be a pretty good pretty awesome spot to be in for all that time. Yeah. And, and that's well said, right? Uh, we uh, try, you know, independently, it's our spiritual, you know, personal spiritual disciplines, right? Prayer, fasting, 
Um, we work in twos. So if you look in the New Testament, um, if there's, you know, uh, the disciples weren't sent out solo. They were, they were sent out in pairs. And so uh, if it's in the Bible, we try to model it. And uh, Pastor Tim Keller, you know, says, um, uh, we know we've got some things wrong and we're not sure which ones those are, but we're, we're trying at, and at every, um, at every juncture, we're trying to see what is scripture, how does it inform it? And then one of the things that's uh, been powerful, and again, it's part of that uh, privilege of seeing it, if we um, as, a, as a gathered group are sort of have an uncertainty, we wait. There's more prayer, um, there's more conversation, there's, you know, going broadly into our body to, to look for wisdom, uh, seeking the counsel of others. Uh, but when we have unity, we act. And and one of the things that it's allowed us to do is actually be, uh, have, you know, speed in addressing, you know, like during the pandemic, we've been able to address some things because we had that unity that we seek. And uh, we really trust that when God's working through all of the leaders at Park, not just the elders, uh, that we're able to, you know, to act in the right ways. And we make mistakes, uh, but, you know, we repent and, and uh, we're undaunted and we, we keep moving forward. Yeah, I love that. And just highlighting the essential nature of prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit and being unified in that. Well, hey, thanks for sharing uh, that. That's um Good for those of us who may not know what all goes into. It's a really, uh, I think, a big responsibility. So thank you for the investment of time that you've made in our church. So let's let's pivot. Let's talk about this book, ma'am. The Motivation Code, Discover the Hidden Forces that Drive Your Best Work. This is amazing. I love it. And as, as you know, I've been a little bit involved with um, MCOR, in the last six or so years have taken um, the test has been incredibly impactful in my life. So let's just kick off. I, I'd love our listeners to know what, what even drove you to write this book? Like what's your background, kind of what led up to this work being created? Yeah. For uh, many who are listening, uh, they'll, they'll know StrengthsFinder. And I was part of Gallup while that was being developed. I was there a couple of decades always working with organizations to try and help their pe- unleash the power of their people. And so, um, and, and we found uh, that knowing your strengths could be incredibly helpful. And um, I would say that uh, it helps a person define what, what they'd be great at doing. Uh, it can also be what they'd enjoy. But, but it really answers that question, you know, what am I, uh, get, you know, gifted to do? And, and that points to a lot of things. But there was this one underlying question that uh, many of us at Gallup knew, and that was why? Why does someone not want to do what they're naturally good at doing? And so uh, another way of kind of answering that what versus why, uh, another would be why do I uh, get energized by certain activities that I'm great at? Why are there things that people ask me to do and they just don't seem to know me? Yes, I'm good at it, but I don't I don't enjoy it and it doesn't fill me up. And so answering that question of why, that was really what I was pursuing. Why did um, as many as a third to even a half of the people who were a fit for a role when I was at Gallup and we did pre-hiring assessment development for big companies, why did... Uh, you know, a third, 
not want to do the job at least long term, or they'd be in the role and all they wanted to do was get promoted out of that role. It didn't seem to me like we were answering the whole question about the person. And so um, I became, you know, I got connected with some people that were working on motivation because Don Clifton, who founded Gallup, um, he, he had indicated that strengths was missing motivation. So that kind of set me down a path of exploration. Yeah. So the distinction between not necessarily the what, but the why I do the things I do or why I don't do the things that I don't do. So if people read the motivation code, what can they expect? What are, what are some things that they'll learn? Yeah. You know, it's a little bit of a handbook or guidebook uh, into personal self-discovery. But the, the key to what we learned is the other assessments that you've taken that are so good at helping you understand yourself, that what piece, what they don't do is they don't anchor, they don't anchor your thinking into your story. So the number uh, one difference is that uh, we use two parts of psychology, narrative psychology plus a psychometric assessment. And, and the, the most important thing is, what's your story? And people are incredibly cloudy on understanding their own story. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, w- culture is trying to cloud our judgment. So uh, we believe that everyone has been designed in God's image. And while the book isn't expressly Christian, it's built on these principles. People are designed in God's image. Uh, they've been given gifts with works prepared uh, really beforehand, before the creation of the world for them to do. And so as people walk in them, they become part of this body uh, that, that each part is of equal value and no one is given all the gifts. So we're supposed to be reliant. But we, we know that culture is telling us really mixed messages, that we should aspire to be what we're not or to want things that we don't have. And so, uh, again, we're trying to provide clarity on that because we have found that motivations don't change over the course of time. Your values can change. You can develop new skills and strengths. But that underlying uh, reason for why you love something seems to be consistent across your life. And to us, it makes sense. If God designed us in his image, gave gave us gifts with specific works, it stands to reason we'd be deeply motivated to do that. And so just like you can't change your genetic code, you can't change your motivation code. You want to embrace it and and develop it. Yeah, that's really interesting because there's 12 motivational themes uh, that you cover. And I, you know, I've taken the assessment several years ago and frankly, it freaked me out a little bit. I'm like, how on earth did this assessment like pin me or just have such a massive self-discovery by literally, I think it made up, might've been three or four stories from childhood and, you know, throughout the years. So I was just absolutely blown away at, at the power of story and how this assessment tool, I don't, what, what do you, what do you call it? An assessment? Would that be? Yeah, it's, it's fair to call it an assessment. So that in the book, um, you learn about why motivation is important and then you're invited to, uh, examine several of your stories, and then go online and take an assessment where you get the results back. That's not uncommon. The part is we try to make it this active relationship with the person where they can they can go in and understand their story and begin developing uh, insights. 
And, and uh, with technology, it's, it's allowed us, uh, then they can uh, go onto a website, join a community where they can explore it further, even receive coaching if they want to. But, but the key to the book is just sort of un- helping people begin to unlock the power of their own story. And Lisa, I remember uh, going through feedback with you. It, it's an, going through, you know, examining those stories, can, that, that self-reflection, it can be hard, it can be emotional, um, and, and it can be really, really positive because people, you know, may not even like all of their motivations, but when they realize that they're there and... Again, God would not have given them to us if he didn't have a purpose for it. So I always challenge people if they don't like one of their one of their themes, it's like, well, you know, get to the point where you're comfortable that, that this is you and then ask yourself, what would the world be like if no one had your motivation? And usually that's a very practical way that they can start saying, yeah, this is a good thing, uh, but I, I need to harness it. And then part of the book is, helping people see that there can be shadow sides to each of the very best parts of us. So also understanding, you know, what can be the implications to others or somebody who has very different motivations? How do you uh, work on a team with somebody with a certain set of motivations? How do you manage somebody with a certain set of motivations? That's all part of what we write about. Can you give, and I want Trevor, I want you to pop in here, um, but real quick, Rod, can you give, a, so we're talking about these motivational themes and motivation. What Can you give a couple of examples for people who may be wondering what that means? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So uh, unlike skills or unlike strengths that you can develop, motivations are helping point you toward uh, the purpose behind uh, why you do and love what you do. So uh, I'll give a I'll give a, a personal one. I'm an establisher, and I used to say, you know, before I became familiar with this this science over the last ten years, that I was a builder, and I I would say I'm a builder, player, coach, desperately in need of a team, and so uh, I would be trying to solve these problems. And what I've learned is that um, I'm establishing things where I believe that there's potential. So it's uh, that, that I'm uh, establishing my role. So this is the other part that we're learning is there's a sequence to these. So there's something that gets you involved. So I believe in the potential of church planting, for example. So I'll begin looking for others to develop this really effective team. And I'm, I'm so, so excited by the uh, nearly 40 different uh, expressions of church that we, along with many other churches, have, have been privileged to, to help start. And then payoff for me. So there's a trigger, there's a process, and then there's this outcome that where you, you look back and you say, okay, was this worth doing for me? And the outcome for me is when I see impact. And, and usually it's, it's impact among the people that are, that are, we're trying to touch or serve. So that's, that's an example of it, uh, of a couple of them. But again, um, part of what we've learned is these don't operate in isolation. There's this sequence, uh, to our best achievements that, that give us the most energy. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I found really fascinating was was actually the shadow side piece of it that, um, you know, it, it helps gain an understanding of yourself in all these different ways. But it does it, it almost pr- provides a little bit of a warning sense, too, that this could be, uh, you know, there's some there's some potential downsides if you lack this awareness. And so helping to have that is a good thing. And I'm curious, just like kind of in your own life, how are some of the ways that you've 
seen that play out, I guess, the, the shadow side, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, w- for a lot of us that have, there, there's a, a motivation to make things ideal. So we describe it as experiencing the ideal because it can be applied in a lot of ways. For me, a shadow side is uh, sometimes I won't begin a project that needs to be done, that I'm committed to doing, but I won't begin because I don't feel like I have enough information. Maybe the right people aren't involved or um, I just, am I really the best person to do this? So even though I've committed to it, it, it can look like procrastination, but it's not because when I know, when, I have, you know, when I'm clear about what needs to be done and, and how I should do it, um, most people would say, I'm, you know, if I have any error, it's probably on doing things too quickly with too little information. But what I know in my heart of hearts is it's because I, I actually am pretty confident with where we're at. So a person that experiences the ideal, um, you know, they, they may look like they procrastinate on certain issues and it's a little confounding to themselves or others. And I've learned to manage it uh, by, by having some awareness of that. Um, I have a niece that I love dearly, and she loves, it's called gaining recognition or evoking recognition. She is a classic stage performer, and she probably has a gift uh, uh, to be under the bright lights somewhere someday. But there are times where um, it, it's, you know, it may outshine others who have every right and really need to be brought forward. And so that's something, you know, again, she and I've had conversations about how do you manage that? How do you work with that? One more thing on shadow sides. We encourage people to develop their motivations and develop their strengths with about 80% of their effort. People know, Trevor, they know way more about their shadow side than they do about the, the, the strength and the power and the productivity and, and the joy that can come from living a life where they're using how they were designed. Uh, you know, if you ask uh, children, and, I, and, and this research uh, came from, as I mentioned, Don Clifton. He's truly one of the heroes in my life. But he would ask kids in kindergarten, how many of you are great at singing or playing ball or art? Every hand goes up because they're phenomenal at it their expression of it, and they're very joy-filled and proud of it. By the time you're a senior in high school, and I've, I've got two high schoolers and one in college, and you ask those same questions, and in a classroom of 30 kids, almost no hands go up. So culture is teaching us more about what we're not, and w- the way that we express ourselves um, is actually not valuable or not correct or not the way, not the best way of doing it. So again, we want people to be, have an awareness of their shadow side. We don't want them to focus on it because usually they know the shadow side more clearly than they know the upside. Mm. That's good. That's good. You mentioned something else in the book um, called about uh, th- this idea of, you know, even describing, you, you talked about like the strengths finders getting at the what, motivation getting at the why. And I'm almost picturing like a Venn diagram where you're trying to find the overlap between those two things, right? Um, and uh, just this this idea of activating your motivation, right? That, uh, which I think is getting at exactly what you're saying with focusing the 80% into that of, you know, I understand this is this is what I have the potential to be good at. I'm motivated to do it. I enjoy it. And, and then... Um, 
you know, finding a way to, to basically do that phrase, to activate your motivation within whatever circumstances you have to happen to be in, in, in life. Um, and so I guess, could, could you talk a little bit about what that looks like and kind of how you coach people through that? Yeah, the, the first thing is that self-awareness. And so I think that the assessment, the reports, the videos that are online, I mean, those are, the, those are precursors to it. But where it really begins is when you start looking at your stories and then you start trying to apply it to circumstances going forward. And so um, we've trained about 500 coaches to help people uh, activate those motivations. But I think there's a lot you can do just in your small group or with your uh, with a friend or a spouse, um, even your your kids, I think you can ask those questions. You know, this is this is what I've learned about myself. This is where um, I feel like I'm at my best. How does how does it feel to you? And of course, what they're answering is they're really understanding how you know through their own motivations, through their own experience. But I think that's a, a practical first step. You know, that in your the relationships that you have, you can ask for input. Uh, you know, when you say, look, this is an achievement or this is a story where I was, I felt like I was a, my very best, you can ask them, well, what did you see that was different from these other experiences that I had? So to me, activating it is, a, is about having a dialogue with other people. And I think so much can be done just, you know, again, people in our small group or people that you know care about you, uh, they're really great resources to, to help doing that. That's awesome. How, how would you see, so I think this tool, this assessment can really be used individually. It can be used from a team perspective. It can be used if I'm leading or managing a team. Can you, can you talk about the different ways that this can be used in those different scenarios and, and yeah, the power of that? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, Years ago, uh, I was actually, uh, it was something we used even at Park. We were uh, trying to, and you'll remember this, being on staff for a lot of years, uh, Lisa, but when people have uh, too many, um, you know, it's almost like as you grow and the organization changes, you know, the responsibilities that you had at one point, there are going to be other people around the table, but how do you divide those responsibilities? And so, uh, with teams, often it's like we, we're not sure how, you know, they'll, they'll basically say we're not sure how we got here. And so what we'll do is we'll put up the primary motivations of the team and we put them into uh, different, we call them identities or families of themes, and we'll help them see that they're really missing certain parts. So I've, I've worked with teams that they don't have uh, really the vision and the communication to help share all of the things that they're doing as a team with the rest of an organization. So it feels like they're this, you know, group that does its own thing and they're in isolation and they're not accountable to anybody else. When that, nothing could be further from the truth, but they don't have people with the, the natural motivation to, to really get that, get the word out. Conversely, I've worked with teams where they, they have, they're almost all visionaries. And so one of the one of the secrets is we are we tend to be drawn to people like ourselves. You know, it says opposites attract, and that may be in relationships. When it comes to organizations, we tend to think people are brilliant because they think the way we think. And um, you know, when we talk about inclusion uh, and the power of inclusiveness, um, so much more than uh, the diversity that are the way we see diversity. If you're inclusive 
of ideas, you will become more diverse as an organization. So gender, age, um, race, any way we measure diversity is more likely to occur if we're inclusive. And, and what we're saying when we're inclusive is we know we'll get it wrong if we don't have more voices at the table. So that's, to me, maybe the most powerful thing when, and I, I tend to work with organizations more than I do individuals. The, the 500 coaches are really gifted at helping people look deeply into their lives. So when I'm working with organizations or teams, um, I'm trying to help them. You know, one of the goals I have is they see the power and the value of more voices at the table. Yeah, that's really good. And then I think from an individual perspective, it's gaining more insight into, wow, why do I kind of feel super drained and bummed out whenever I'm doing this? And why do I feel so alive when I'm doing this? Let me do more of that. <laughs> Let me find avenues, ways to you know do more of that, which is motivating and inspiring. And I just can imagine, goodness, if everyone read this book, The Motivation Code, and everyone did the assessment and we aligned ourselves with that which we were motivated by, can you just imagine what workplaces would look like, what the world would look like, really, if we were in that flow rather than chasing the things that we think have status or success? Uh, but to be in our core motivations is um, it's really free actually. Lisa, you use the word that we're, so when people are aligned, they, Daniel Pink actually wrote about flow, that concept of being in the zone. We are trying to help people reach their motivational flow. And so uh, part of what we, uh, part of what we work with folks on is again, starting with yourself. If you could spend 80% of your time doing the things that filled you up, what would that change? What would that be like? And, and really what we're saying, you know, in, for, for the purpose of, of Park, we're saying if you could spend 80% of your time doing those works that God prepared for you to do. And so it's, it's worth doing an exploration. And then, you know, maybe, maybe folks will be interested. Um, this science was built over 60 years, but the way that they got at the answers was about a 10-hour process. And in today's world, you know, just fewer and fewer people are willing to spend 10 hours on anything, no matter how good it, it may be for them. You know, they're taking somebody else's word for it. And so, and it, and it had a lot of components. Uh, it, it, the, the original science and was based off of 100,000 interviews and a million stories. And so, and again, that was developed over 60 years. But about 10 years ago, we tried to crack the code on how could we take the part that was uh, not covered by other assessments, your motivation. And that's where we began pairing uh, your story with one of these assessments that's designed really well, built off that database of a million stories. And what we found is that if there's any people listening who, who enjoy, enjoy numbers, there's a 0.9 alpha reliability. So I said earlier that it doesn't change over time, your motivations. What we find is across your stories, you answer the, the six different ways we have of assessing each of the motivation motivational um, dimensions, that people answer the questions the same way. And they're different questions, so it's really a, a tall task, but we know that they're tapping into something that's innate and, uh, and foundational about themselves. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, man, this has been great. It's been a great conversation. And uh, Lisa, thanks for stepping in and uh, standing in. It's been great having you in uh, on this. And yeah, Rod, thank thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Rod, thank you for your service, at, you know, as one of our elders. Um, yeah, thanks. We're grateful for all the things that you do that we see uh, and even the things that we that we don't see. And so, uh, again, yeah, of those of you who listen, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to check out the Motivation Code. Discover the hidden forces that drive your best work. Uh, Rod, maybe where's the best place to, to check out more about the book? Yeah, it's we're on Amazon um, and Barnes & Noble, but it's uh, you can also learn more about it at motivationcode.com. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the site and it'll talk about, you know, talk more about the book and, and you can watch, you know, you can gain a lot more information there if you want to. Thanks for having me. Uh, Lisa, thanks for being on this journey with me for a, a long time. And, uh, I, you know, Trevor and Sawyer, I, I, I really love, uh, love doing life and, and, uh, ministry with you guys. So again, it's a privilege to be a part of this. Yeah, I'm really excited to see, like literally, I want people I know to read this book. I'm really excited to see that there's another modality, another way that people can learn about all the research and the work and just really the power of motivation. So I know you've put a lot of heart and soul into this work, and I pray that God just really blesses it to bless other people. Thanks. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Pastor's Cut. We'll see you then.